Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center, no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Guys, welcome. What in the world? Welcome. This is Paradox. I'm Jimmy. That's very, you're very loud. You're yelling at us. Emma? Uh, this is Paradox. I am I Josh. I am discoing down. Mm. Come on. Get your bell bottoms, your elephant bells. Get your platform shoes. You can't see me right now, but I'm kneeling in protest. <laughs> Get your pork chop sideburns. Mm. Your puffy sleeves. No. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's enough. Woo! I'm doing my, you can't see me right now, but I'm doing my John Travolta. And people might be asking, why are they playing celebration music? I don't know. It, it's freaking me out. Oh, yeah, right here. Mm. Celebration. Okay, seriously. Ask- okay, sorry. It is the 100th episode. 100th episode. It took us a little over a year. That's a lot of episodes for this length. For like, eight, what, 18 months? Probably more like 15, but yes. Woo! It is 100th episode, so we thought... Seriously, it's been 100 episodes. What has been, and I know we're going to... My back is tired from carrying you 100 episodes. Yeah, it's amazing. Is that just mm. oh, it seems a that's, neutral statement, or is that another body shape? I have degenerative disc disorder. You saying I'm heavy? And it's because I've had to carry you for 100 mm. episodes. Mm. But it's all right. No, that had nothing to do with the weight. Nothing. It had nothing to do with weight. We thought that we would go back over and select some of our favorite episodes over this past gonna celebrate. 99 episodes in celebration. And so that is what we're going to do today. Uh, Hall of Fame, Hall of Shame, depending on how you look at it. Some funny, mostly chosen by Jimmy. Some serious, mostly <laughs> chosen by me. And uh, just kind of, and there was obviously as you as we look through all the episodes, like so many more than we actually have time for in our twenty to twenty five minute show. And so know that these are certainly high points, but these are just some of them, not all of them. Absolutely. What do we have? Less than ten. Out of a hundred, so correct. These exactly. are just things that jumped in. Here are some that didn't. Here's one that like that didn't make it. When we were talking to one of my personal spiritual heroes, Tony Campolo. I know I loved him. I'm wanting to be his friend. I want him to think of me when he writes his memoir that I'm, I made this impact on his life, and I've like met him twice. And so we're we're as we do before we go in it, just yucking it up. And hey, 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 look what we got in common. Hey, whoa, hey. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to endear myself to this hero of mine. And he says, okay, well, I'm sure you got some great questions. Why don't we get to them? Just <laughs> shut me it's like, down. I don't have time for this. Oh, my gosh. It was so embarrassing. So that didn't make the cut. Probably should have. No, didn't make it. Um, but, obviously, uh, you know, our tattoo conversation with Brandon Hatmaker was one of my favorites. That, that didn't, didn't make, make it? it? No. Oh my gosh, that was a good one. I mean, Lisa Turkhurst, our interview on the way then when she was on the way to working out in her car. I mean, that was great when she was talking about... The Turk. That's what people who know her well. Is, you know, the Turk. When she was talking about just the first thoughts of the day are so invaluably important, and she went into the neurochemicals behind it, and if we fill it with social media... 
what devastating effects that can have for our for our days. See, my first thoughts are like, I really need to fart. Mm. That's what that so, could explain a lot. These are six to seven to eight clips uh, that we liked, but there were plenty more others. So if you haven't listened to all the episodes, definitely go back and check them out. Here are some of our highlights. Enjoy. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. All right, our first clip. Jimbo. Andy Bannister. He was one of our first people he that we interviewed. He might have been the first week that we yeah, dropped. I, yeah. Well, he was. I think he was the third of the three interviews that we opened with. And by the way, what a guy. We have emailed almost nonstop oh, after man. that. He is so great. And he's just been helping us with a book concept, and he's fantastic. Andy Bannister, check out his work. Yeah. Uh, the Atheist That Wasn't There, the book we interviewed him about. Atheist That Didn't Exist. That Didn't Exist. Great book, great guy, very funny. You don't think of an egghead academic as being funny. And he, yeah, he was really, really good. So he had a lot of good things to say about, you know, in this, in this day and time where there's such conflict with radical Islam, with ISIS and, you know, all the acts of terrorism where people are yelling Allah Akbar and, and things of this, it's it, the, the relationship between Muslims and non-Muslims are kind of extreme, and and we 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 broach the the topic of well, everyone says that Islam is a is a religion of peace. Is it really? Because by the way, he has like a, a PhD in Islamic studies, so the guy knows his stuff. And so, as I've been doing here, I've been saying the word Muslim. This extremely smart man from England says Muslim. Muslim. Watch my pronunciation change <laughs> to reflect <laughs> my brilliance as well. Enjoy. Just this week, of course, we had the massacre in Orlando from sort of a lone wolf terrorist who proclaimed allegiance with ISIS. Every time one of these things happens, half the pundits on television go berserk uh, about, you know, Islam. And the other half insists that it's a religion of peace. When non-Muslims see this happening, sometimes it's hard to accept that Islam is a religion of peace. What do you say to, to that point? Is it or is it not a religion of peace? Challenge with that, with that question is, is that so often as human beings and as Christians, we, like, we often like very simple answers to, to complex subjects. And the difficulty is that if, uh, if one goes ahead and simply says, you know, Islam is not a religion of peace, you face the problem that uh, to go, well, hang on a minute, what about my lovely Pakistani next door neighbor? I've known him for 30 years. I, I don't building a dirty nuclear bomb in his garden shed. And how do I explain him? On the other hand, if you say, of course, Islam's origin of peace, then we're faced with, well, how do we explain the likes of, uh, you know, what's just happened in, in Orlando? And so we have this really curious problem. How do we how do we explain what's going on? Islam seems to be both and. And I think here's, here's the issue. I think in terms of can Muslims be peaceful, moderate, friendly uh, people and friends and neighbors and colleagues? Absolutely. And thankfully, the majority are. And there are millions upon millions upon millions of them. Yes. And the chances are that the Muslim that you know, if you're listening to this, falls into that category. Um, cannot, uh, the problem you have, though, is Islam itself. Um, is Islam, i.e. the religion, moderate? 
Well, while there are moderate forms of Islam, the, the mainstream uh, orthodox form of, of Islam uh, that's, uh, that's represented the mainstream position in Islamic theology for more or less 1400 years, I would say is not. And the, the elephant in the room really is Muhammad. When you look at Muhammad, the founder of Islam, uh, you know, he fought battles, uh, he engaged in conflict, he was a violent man. Now, I'm not picking on him, he was no better, no worse than the other tribal warlords, warlords of the 7th century, but he was a militaristic battle leader, very charismatic leader of men. He fought in uh, over 20 battles. And the problem is, that's not a great role model for today. And when you look at some of the things that he said about engaging with those who are your enemies, that's the kind of material that the likes of ISIS and other extreme Muslim groups are tapping into. Most moderate Muslims are either not aware of that material or sort of are acutely embarrassed and try to ignore it. The problem is that, say, Islam itself has this, this problem with Muhammad. And I think the difference between Muhammad and Jesus, which is what I think we want to be talking about as Christians, I always want to say as Christians, I don't want to really talk about is Islam or Christianity superior? Let's talk about who is the person to who we want to you know, devote our lives and follow. Would you want to follow Muhammad or would you want to follow Jesus? You know, if I meet a, a Muslim who is inclined towards violence, I want to get them as far away from Muhammad as possible. He is not a good historical example. If I meet a Christian who is inclined towards violence and, and mistreating their neighbor, I want to get them as close to Jesus as possible. So the movement of travel is the opposite direction, towards Jesus and away from Muhammad. All right, so we hope you enjoyed Andy. Again, he's fantastic. He's great. Clip number two. This was on our episode, Essential Battles. Which is... You know, we always say, hey, as parents, choose your battles. Choose your battles. Parenting. But some battles are essential. This might have been also, so Andy was one of our first weeks to drop, but wasn't necessarily one of our first interviews to interview, to, to actually conduct. This could have been like our first week of recording, period. Uh, it may have been. It was in <laughs> the bedroom of your house. Yeah, we were in my, so we do all of our recording from our office now, but our first week or two, we recorded from my house and... Sometimes we get, we just kind of lose it and laugh at whatever get is being said. Giddy as little schoolgirls. And this could have been, again, maybe our first or second episode. And this is probably, in my mind, the funniest moment. Is this one of yours? Single, the yeah. single funniest, funniest moment. And I don't know why it struck me, but when you said what you, I, ju I just lost it. We're discussing essential battles, and it digresses from there. And yet we remain the professionals that we are. <laughs> Enjoy. Since essentials are fluid and essentials are going to be different for every family, just kind of three uh, overarching umbrellas, uh, we wanted to, to kind of help you guys out as far as maybe trying to figure out what some of these essentials are. The first one being <clears throat> safety, physical safety and emotional safety. Those are no-brainers. Those are essential battles. We're just not going to play in the street. Yeah. We just aren't. And it's essential, but it's, for instance, standing up in the bath. To my wife, it was an essential thing. Yes. For me, it wasn't. So this is an essential umbrella, but you mm -hmm. each individual couple has to Bring flesh, something this, to it. Yeah, flesh this out and figure out what it yeah. is for your family. So obviously anything or um, uh, emotional safety. So you're not going to let someone, uh, another sibling, call somebody stupid or a retard or some of those type things. I do not think you can use that word I, anymore. Really? It's, it's 21st century America, Jimbo. Sorry. Well, that's why I was saying it, that it was a derogatory statement that's, or a, a word. That's why I used it that way. cannot say that. 
Well, I would allow my child to say you're mentally handicapped. I wouldn't allow him to say retard. That was my point. Moving on. Okay. <clears throat> but emotional safety and another thing about physical safety is you wouldn't allow your kids just to wail on each other. So there's the safety issue of emotional and physical safety. Number two, if there is a clear biblical prohibition. Stealing. Coveting your neighbor's wife. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. <laughs> you do not want your 12-year-old coveting your neighbor's With binoculars wife. in your neighbor's backyard. Yes. If you got your four-year-old with, with a telescope yeah. <laughs> looking at the Wyndham Hotel. What you, what you doing there, son? Put that beanie out of your mouth and answer me. <laughs> Okay, okay. Shh. Executive producer, put a sock in it. So, a clear biblical man. Again, I laugh to this day. I laugh. Get your binky out of your mouth and answer me. <laughs> yeah, son, quit coveting your name. Get out of the backyard. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Our next, uh, our next little clip is from Erwin McManus. A lot of you guys know him as an author. He's the pastor of Mosaic in Los Angeles. I mean, how much cooler can a human being be? He actually describes himself as not a pastor. He describes himself as a futurist and an iconoclast. So I thought to myself, well, that's great. <laughs> and I tell him, hey, I'm going to, I love that word. I think iconoclast is a very underused word, a descriptor. So I think I'm going to put that on my business card. Yeah, here was his response. We are so excited to have Erwin McManus. Erwin, thank you for being on the show. Man, I am so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, Erwin is a pastor at Mosaic. He is an author. He's also been described as an iconoclast as well as a futurist. And he has an extremely important... By the way, really quickly. Yeah. Erwin, I'm going yeah. to add iconoclast to my business card. <laughs> I think that's one of the well, great unused <laughs> words. If you have a business card, you are not an iconoclast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, point taken. Exactly. Yeah, Jimmy, that's very telling of Jimmy's mindset. So bottom line, yeah, I'm not an iconoclast. No, not I'm a, at I'm all. a lot of things. Annoying. And I'm glad he put you in your place. Yeah. <laughs> That was another one that just struck me as being, that was, yeah, Erwin McManus. All right. The next one that made the list here is another content show. And it's probably one that we got as much pushback on maybe as we've gotten pushback on anything. And we took up the topic of education in school, which is very important. But the point we were trying to make is it's not that, that important. important. And yeah, some people didn't like that. Okay, I'm going to say something. Don't say it. And I want you to remain calm. If you are driving, say, on a highway, you may want to pull over because I don't want what I'm about to say to shock you in any way and that you might endanger the lives of yourself or possibly other family members. I'm already offended. <sighs> Mom and dad, school is not that important. You see, that's heresy. 
nowadays. Oh. Hey, when I when I actually say that and I'm speaking in a group, like you, people do get uncomfortable with. Well, me. I'm I'm picturing a young mother about 35, and her face is sort of turning reddish, <laughs> reddish purple. Right it's, now, it's amazing how much of a um, how much of a connection uh, we make with education and all the meaningful things in life, whether it's success or value or worth or jobs. Not that they don't necessarily relate. But we almost see them as a one-to-one correlation. Oh, absolutely. So school is not that important. School is not that. I wanted to say school is unimportant. Josh said, mm, let's, let's back that off a little bit. <laughs> because, again, absolutely, of course school is important. It's just not at important. There are very few men on the planet that I want to kiss on the mouth. <laughs> Let me start there by saying that. Well, okay, technically there's probably a dozen, but this guy certainly makes the list. Gary Thomas, Dr. Gary Thomas, probably most well-known for his book, Sacred Marriage, which I believe to be the single greatest Christian book on marriage ever penned. Just absolutely fantastic. Beth and I every morning read through devotions for a sacred marriage. There are guys who have insight into relationships, and then there's Gary Thomas. So uh, amazing. And, and so we, we spoke with him, which I plan to do every time the guy puts out a book, or if he just signs a parking ticket, I'd like to talk with him about it. But here is Gary Thomas talking about his new book, Cherish. If you get it, if you read it, it'll open your eyes. Now, your latest book is entitled Cherish, the one word that changes everything for your marriage. Now, we all say that we promise to love and cherish from this day forward. How are we missing the boat on the word cherish? Well, I can say to how I was missing the boat, even as a guy who's written on marriage and been speaking on marriage for two decades and who's been married for three decades. I was just convicted some years back when God challenged me with that promise I'd made on the day I got married. I promised to love and to cherish until death do us part. In Sacred Marriage, I focus on love. In a following book, A Lifelong Love, I focused on love. In my seminars, that would be the last session. But when God reminded me of a promise I made, not just to love, but to cherish my wife, that raises the bar. It's about adopting a certain attitude, having a certain um, action, the, the way that I look at her, the way that I adore her. Love is sort of the, the baseline. It's commitment. It's sacrifice. It's servants service, perseverance, hanging in there. But cherish is about delighting in our spouse, celebrating in our spouse, enjoying our spouse. So my spouse knows I'm not with her because Jesus says I'm not allowed to leave her. But my spouse knows I'm with her because I cherish her above all others. I value her. I honor her. I learn to showcase her. And so after I was convicted of this, this is what I promised to do. And I believe it's what God wants me to do began to put it into practice. And and here's the thing that shocked me. I didn't anticipate this, was how much happier it made me. Now, it makes so much logical sense that if you learn to cherish the person you're married to, you're going to be a lot happier because there's just much more joy in life when you cherish the person you're with every day. I didn't do it for that reason, but that was the end result. But before I could do the book, I had to figure out what does it mean to cherish and is cherishing something that could be learned. Yeah, I mean, Gary's great. That was that Transformative. Whole, that whole interview is fantastic. Yeah. Okay, the next guy, I may not want to kiss him on the mouth. 
because that, again, is relegated to probably no more than 50 to 100 men uh, on the planet. But Carlos Whitaker. I don't know how your mind goes there. <laughs> mine would have started, or mine would have kept with just a few, but each time you've mentioned that, you've gone up in number. I'm becoming more and more honest. I know, that's it. hilarious, okay. and I know that's what's going through your mind, right. and I get it, but... Again, my mind would go just a few people, and I'd continue with the same joke. But you, and it's very funny. <laughs> Thank you. So let's forget about the thousands of people that I'd like to kiss on the mouth. Carlos Whitaker, be honest, didn't didn't know about him prior to this, but his book "Kill the Spider." First off, very engaging title for a book. But you listen to this young man, and oh my soul, is he engaging? He just has this electric personality. You can see that God is just using him in, a, in a, an amazing way. And when you hear the story of, you know, again, what the book is about, but where he got this concept of kill the spider from his father, it's worth another listen. For not just existing through this thing called fatherhood, not just existing through this thing, uh, being a spouse, um, but there, there's such hope in that. And then also, obviously, that was like my my first book was really kind of slinging hope with making moments. And this next mm-hmm. kind of version of my ministry is just kind of slinging hope to people that have suffered and have not been free from, you know, addictions and things their entire life. That that hope is real and that freedom is near. And so that's kind of all I, all I want to talk about, man, is, is just is hope all the time. And so that's why I kind of call myself a hope dealer. That's fantastic. You know, just since you started talking, I'm feeling better about myself. Well, see, good. You are very enthusiastic. Maybe I can open, I can open up a clinic and you just talk yes, to people. They don't even have to say anything back. Right in the nose. Yeah, it, I, it I'm just going to start flinging hope. Yeah, well, Jimbo has absolutely nothing to have hope over, but he's still know, feeling it. That's pretty amazing. I'm on the backside of this thing. I'm heading downhill. <laughs> I need Our to know which, which one of you guys, which one of you guys, I'm looking at your picture right now on my phone, and I'm trying to figure out whose voice is whose. Yes, look at that picture. Who's the most intelligent looking? <laughs> The, the one in the black shirt, for sure. Well, yes, the one in the black exactly. shirt. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Josh, I'm the younger one. Yeah. Oh, got it. There you go. There you go. I'm the one that is not young. When I was young, my stomach was still an internal organ. Whoa. Hey. Whoa. Oh, hey. hey. <laughs> be here all Good week. Joke. Carlos, your current book, or the one that's going to be out in October, is called Kill the Spider, Getting Rid of What's Really Holding You Back. And I love, ah, until I read it, I didn't, you know, I saw the book, but I didn't get this. You said you can't just clear away the cobwebs. You have to find the spider, the source of the issue, and take it out. That it's not enough just to stop doing something destructive, but you have to get to the core of why you're doing something destructive. Tell us about it. You know, uh, you know, and for me, I mean, what you just said is, is it's common sense. Everybody knows it, but not until I my dad told me the story of a of a woman who came forward at a revival of his when he was in his 20s um and she prayed she asked that my dad would pray that god would clean the cobwebs out of her life and um my dad said that he prayed that and it was an older lady and he prayed that and then the next night of the revival she came forward and asked for that same prayer can you pray that god god cleans the cobwebs out of my life and he said, oh, I prayed that last night, but I'll pray it again. And then he said, the last night of the revival, this woman comes forward again and says, can you pray one more time that God cleans the cobwebs out of my life? And my dad said he looked her square in the eyes and said, no, actually, we're done praying that. That's the wrong prayer. <laughs> we're, we're not going to pray that. We're going to pray that he kills the spider oh, in your life. Too good. And, too good. And, it's, and I tell you what, when he said that to me, it's like everything just made sense. He goes, God, I've watched you your entire life. 
clean the cobwebs of sin in your life. I've watched you. You're a professional cobweb cleaner. You need to kill the spider. And that was kind of the turning point for me. He was fantastic. Yeah, he's great. And he's in, great. in his interview, he mentions how his mom is going to start to listen. <laughs> and I hope that she is. Yes, that you're that you're listening. Yes, Mrs. Whitaker. And I'm thank kidding. You. I, do, I, do, I don't want to kiss your son. <laughs> Let me make that clear. So one of my favorite, in fact, yeah, obviously we've each had lots of different fa- favorites, but Shanti Feldhahn was... Absolutely fantastic. I mean, it is one of, in my counseling office, anytime I'm dealing with a couple, one of the ones that I love to mention to them. Because in her interview, she describes in pretty specific detail differences between males and females and how that then causes Mm -hmm. conflict within Mm -hmm. marriage. This particular section that I chose, we ask her, all right, what's the one thing that wives need to know about their husbands? And what she said was maybe not surprising, but the way she put it just made it perfectly clear. Priceless. This is, we're going to get off that book real quickly, but with all of your writing on, on the gender differences, if, if this will be a two-parter, if, if you could tell women, you know, of all the differences in your estimation and with your expert opinion, what would be the number one thing that women need to know about men that they may not understand? By far the most important thing for women that women need to know is that men look super confident. They look super like, I think I'm all that, and they're not. And oh, see, I disagree we as, because I'm, I'm all that. <laughs> you're all that, right? Oh, yeah. Not Absolutely. you, of course, right? This would not apply to Present either of you. Excluded. Of course. Um, But honestly, we have two very, very different sets of insecurities um, as men and women. And the way I describe it to women is that essentially, and this is the case from, again, this is statistically, there's always exceptions, right? This is the case for most women and most men. It's not all. But for most women, the question, the worry, the cry of the heart is, is this very deep, am I lovable? Am I... Am I beautiful? Am I special? And it's kind of summed up with, am I worthy of being loved for who I am on the inside, right? We don't realize that for men, it is 100% different because for women, that leads to, well, you know, I need to know that he loves me and he cherishes me and whatever. And with guys, they're kind of like, like, that's okay, but it's, it doesn't hold a candle to what's most important to them because the inner cry isn't, am I lovable? It's, am I able? Mm. Am I adequate? Am I any good at what I do on the outside? And there's so much self-doubt running under the surface mm. that we women don't see. We don't know it's there. We have no idea that it's like a raw nerve that we can hit. We have no idea of that. And it, once we get that and grasp that, we, we understand that that is why we can say, I love you all day long. But what a man most needs and is most touched by is appreciation and yeah. trust that I trust him and that I respect him. And I believe in him and I admire him. Like all of that is way more important to the average guy, even than um, feeling that his wife or his girlfriend loves him. So Shanti was great. You definitely yep. need to check yeah, yeah, out yeah. that whole episode. 
The next one is from our interview with Shannon Martin. I asked her, so she, her backstory is she, they had this beautiful farm, acreage, really nice home, and her and her family decided to sell it and move Mm -hmm. to the inner city and uh, to really challenge themselves and learn dependency on God. And so I asked her if you think the the idea of American dream as far as pursuing the most money that you can get and buying the cars and bigger homes and best schools, kind of uh, establishing yourself in that culture of the American dream, if that's damaging to our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And her answer was fantastic. How do you feel like um, the American dream idea damages our relationship with God? For me... When you talked a moment ago about, you know, it's where we should feel trust, we're feeling fear. And I certainly agree with that. I mean, I was feeling a lot of fear. And what I was starting to understand was I did not know how to trust. I had not been in many situations where I had been required to trust. There's a verse in Isaiah that talks about, woe to you who warm yourselves by your own fires. And I... I think of that verse so often because I still catch myself building my own fires and warming myself by my own fires. You know, we were living a life that really allowed us to solve most of our problems on our own. And there was always this, you know, we we went to church, we tithed, we were generous, and we were as generous as we thought we could be, I think, at the time. And we were doing all of these things that you know, we were checking the right boxes, and it wasn't just checking the right boxes. I mean, we loved the Lord. We we saw the way He had provided a family for us where there should have been none. We had seen the way He had rescued our marriage early on out of the pit. I mean, we believed in Him and we loved Him, but in our Absolutely. daily, everyday life, we had never lived in such a way that we really had to rely on Him or where we had to say, we are scared, God, and we don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. but you keep you keep leading us, and we're going to keep following you. So Shannon was great. Oh, yeah. And, and I loved her answer to that question. Our final clip comes from our episode, Your Inability to Love Your Spouse. Can't do it. Can't do it. Um, Want to do it. And in summary... yelled at for not doing it. In summing can't do it. up kind of our problem-solving... This next clip talks about you have to realize that you're broken and that you can't love your spouse well, as well as change your expectations for your spouse and expect them to screw up and then just be surprised when they love you well. No, good stuff. Obviously, gratitude, humility, and I'm, I might break those down uh, a little bit with with kind of my problem solving, but um, <laughs> but obviously those two things are like the umbrella yeah. over this whole issue. For me, it starts with brokenness. It is that tea, that pesky tea in tulip. Oh, I just went theological on everybody up in Woo! here. <laughs> it's just total depravity. I mean, we just have to understand. That we um, that you got to explain tea and tulip. No, I'm just going to let it hang, and for those that catch it, catch it. It's like the R in ragweed. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, that we are depraved people. Uh, that we are sinful. Um, and if we, it's almost like military style. And while I've never gone through basic training, you know, it's, it's a complete breaking down of the person to then rebuild them into this cohesive group that follows orders. You know, when we are, when we enter marriage 
and believe that we are incapable of loving our spouse adequately and vice versa, our spouse to us, we approach it with brokenness and then humility and gratitude kind of ensue out of that. And we can then properly build this fusion of three between God, ourselves, or and, and, and us as, as spouses. Uh, so it begins with brokenness, which then really leads to this loss of self, and Scripture is pretty clear. You know, we have to lose ourselves to truly find it. And it also then moves into this complete reliance on God. So hopefully it creates, you know, if I begin each day with the thought that I can't adequately love my spouse well today, then it hopefully will lead us to more prayer, more scripture reading, more Christian community. It should be leading us towards more healthy activities so that we can um, adequately and appropriately love our spouse that day, not in and of ourselves, um, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of, of God in our life. And then ultimately, you know, with this change of expectation, and I believe Jimmy certainly touched on this piece, but if I don't expect my spouse to meet all of my needs and love me well all seconds of every day, then I'm not just completely destroyed when he or she doesn't do that. I know I see it in my room and in my counseling room and experience in my personal life. We can be bebopping along, having a fantastic experience, day, hour, meal, whatever it is together, and just one little bitty thing is said and it can knock us off our game and we can be mad at each other the rest of the night. Um, and that's terrible. And where that comes from is this very thing, that unmet expectation that he or she shouldn't have, you know, Katie shouldn't have said that, or Katie's thinking, oh, he shouldn't have said that. If he really loved me, he wouldn't have said that. And, and we just internally go down the toilet at that point. And so as a relational buffer, expecting maybe a good way to say it, expecting imperfection in our spouse, expecting them to say the wrong thing. And then just being grateful if if the right thing is said. Oh, that was fun. That was fun. Down memory lane. That was fantastic. Before we uh, we wrap this thing up. But I, hold on. Oh, okay. We hope, mm -hmm. before you go on to your thank yous, we hope that you have enjoyed our first 99 episodes and know that there are 999,999 more to go. We're going to kill this thing. You know I'll be dead, right? <laughs> I don't know. If we go through 100 in a year, <laughs> we might, well, no, you'll be dead. We've got to say thank you primarily to Billy Lee Myers Jr. Our wives. Oh, wait. Yes, to our wives. Yeah, sorry. But for... And to, and to Jesus. And to, okay. Let's start with Jesus. God the Father. Okay. Father, Jesus, Jesus. Holy Spirit. Yeah. Wives... <laughs> Children, yep. anyone related, yep. which brings us Co-workers. Billy. Oh, Billy. Billy Lee Myers Jr. produces this. I don't know how many podcasts you listen to, but this sounds like it's an amazing produced PBS. There are podcasts that I will listen to, and it sounds like they're coming to you live from their bathroom. And they have a thousand times more people listening, <laughs> which is... But it, it really is. It sounds like this American life, and yet we're the paradox. And I don't know. Maybe you guys do. Maybe you don't. But Billy was the audio supervisor for Austin City Limits for about 20, well, 20 years. He's mixed Willie Nelson, Everybody. Lyle Lovett, he's, he, he's Stevie Ray He's produced bluegrass albums you know, on his own. And the paradox. He's like, an, like used to be on his business card, which means Billy is not an iconoclast either. He used to have an audio savant. And that's sort of what he is. The amount, 
We come in here, we pull this out of our backside. We go, okay, thank you very much. Bill takes hours. Mm -hmm. Every time we have a breath, something that some noise in the background, he'll go and individually take that out. So this thing sounds like there's being a lot of money spent on it. And if Billy was doing this for a dime, I mean, if he was doing this for this American life, he would be making a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this whole thing happens because of Billy. A tip of the hat. Yeah, absolutely. And Julie Lyle's car. Yeah, Julie really helped us get going from mm-hmm. the start. She also does all of our voiceovers. She's a paradox evangelist, which just means we love her. But she was instrumental in get, getting us rolling as far as guests kind of directing us on maybe steps and kind of producing a podcast. And so it was. she was very helpful. She was very helpful. And when I think we didn't even get to Gary Chapman, when mm-hmm. he tells the story of how he came up with the concept of the five love languages, we didn't get to Les and Leslie Parrott. There were so many people that we just weren't able to get around to on this top 10. But when I think about some of the things that are going to be coming in the in the future... I get pretty pumped. Yeah, so if you want more information about any of our episodes, go to paradoxpodcast.com. If you would like to follow the show or well as well as us individually on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, go there as well. And don't forget to review and share. The yes. more you share, the more you review, uh, the more Paradox can get into more hands. And this is something we've not really pushed very much in the past, but we do uh, fulfill speaking engagements. We take Paradox on the road. And so if you're thinking about anything like that, parenting, marriage seminars, anything like that, have Paradox Will Travel. Yeah. We have a speaking engagement coming up in Dallas in January, Houston in February, and uh, we're talking with somebody in Amarillo Amarillo now. Um, So let us know. Up from most. You too, for $1 million, can have the Paradox. Yes, absolutely. Hey, guys. It's been a blast. Take care. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers, Jr., For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. Happy hour with Jamie Ivey. Yeah, it's just kind of going crazy. When you started this, did you ever think that your podcast would have reached the limits that it has? Not in my wildest dreams. I was just starting a podcast so I could talk with my girlfriends and let everyone listen to it, which seems weird now that I say that out loud. But I just had spent a little time in radio and I thought this will be a fun little hobby. And I'd never, ever, ever imagined um, the emails that I would get, you know, and that's what we're talking about with the vulnerability. A lot of women come on and we're sharing parts of their story. And man, women are hearing it going, I've never been able to say that out loud to anyone. And she mm-hmm. spoke right to me. I mean, that is humbling to say the least. I'm so happy with what God's doing with the show. Now we were looking from, because again, you were our first guest, mm-hmm. our first repeat. And we noticed you're up about 50,000 uh, listeners to your podcast since the last time. How Thank you much guys. of that is the paradox bump? It's a hundred percent, a hundred percent, no it's doubt. Measurable. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. <laughs> no doubt. Because we're not, you know, it's not beneath us if you wanted to, like, you know, cut a check <laughs> or something. Uh, because you know, hey, you know, a tent maker. You know, yeah, exactly. There you go.